Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome into another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I'm Bennett Conlin. I'm joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. We're previewing a JMU football second-round playoff matchup with Southeastern Louisiana, SLU. SLU. Get it right. SLU. Get that right. Respectfully as well, Jack. Um, But I guess what are your thoughts going into this one? I, I feel like I'm way too too into it already. I'm already trying to analyze the well, game. We don't have like a slow open, but yeah, this, we're going way too slow. We're going way too fast into it. I mean, it is playoff week. We saw a great first round of um, matchups. Our bets. I, I have to promo our own pot, our other podcast. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> this is a way different slow opening than I expected. No. We just have another podcast we do for another job of mine, and we brought over and we are, we had best bets, and man, were we on fire! And it made the weekend a lot of fun. And DRF College Sports Podcast, find us wherever you listen to podcasts. And I think from an FCS level, we can talk quickly about first rounders. I think we uh, we both loved South Dakota State, love South Dakota, and they crushed UC. They Davis. crushed, and I don't know what the Eastern Washington line was, but they also what did they win by ten, something like that. But they played, they learned how to play defense, apparently. Big Sky's actually played some pretty good defense this year, surprisingly. Um, another game that was surprising to me, Southern Illinois took down South Dakota. They had been slumping, yeah. When they play their best, they can do some good things. I think they had three interceptions in that game. I think North Dakota State will still cruise the semis, but we'll see. Holy Cross with the fantastic one over Sacred Heart. Everyone had that one chalked as the must-watch game of the weekend. <laughs> there were some uh, – some like dramatics, like they had a really late touchdown pass. Yeah, there was like another a hail mary game. ten seconds left. Yeah, yeah. There's another game with like a big guy touchdown that was really competitive, and it's it's really cool to see those teams battling for the right to get absolutely demolished <laughs> by a seat. <laughs> That's so true. And before we jump into anything further, just a quick little um, housekeeping stuff. Bet online is back and better than ever. A new web interface for the rest of the NBA season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code believe B L E A V 50 to receive your bonus. That's Believe 50. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, because I know I love pulling the slots on a computer. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. And I didn't know my little throwaway line in there would get Bennett laughing so much, but it makes me feel good about myself. Game off is super sarcastic. I thought you were, <laughs> you were kidding. It is pretty fun, though. Anyway. Oh, I was being very sarcastic. Oh, okay. <laughs> Extreme sarcasm. <laughs> because who wants to, like, the whole point of pulling slots, I mean, I've never played a Vegas casino. What Here's is it? You patented. actually pull them yourself? Yeah, isn't that the fun part? Here's the patented JMU Sports News slow open, but. Yeah, I'm already off to a rough start where I was like, what are your thoughts on the game? What are your thoughts on everything? <laughs> no, so. Yeah, we talked about the Towson game, I think, last week. And so that game, we're all the way onto the, we're all the way into the playoffs. ESPN Plus, you can cancel Flow Sports now at this point, unless you want to watch basketball, then don't cancel Flow Sports. Because <laughs> unless you want to watch basketball. Which yes. Is, 
I still obsessively do. And I think Bennett even bought, bought the $7 CUSA TV one that, time. When we, get to, when we get to basketball, remind me to talk about the CUSA announcer. <laughs> okay. Because that guy was electric. So as we just ramble on and on, we brought on a very special guest today, um, Rob Diarmond. Did I, pr- I pronounce yep. that? That's correct. Awesome. Um, he's the beat writer for Southeastern Louisiana, and he does an awesome job. We'll get to him in just a couple of minutes, but first we'll kind of talk about the game, what we're expecting out of it. And since Bennett is so excited to talk about this game, I'm going to let him just take it over. Yeah, so they, Southeastern Louisiana, the Lions. SLU. We're in the Lions thing right now. They, um, they have a quarterback named Cole Kelly who started his career at Arkansas. He's four a four-star. Four-star. He is a beast. He's 6'7", like 260. He can run. He can throw. I think he has 58 total touchdowns this year. It's like 42 passing and 16 rushing or something. So he's a true dual threat. He's a really good player. Um, Obviously a strong, powerful runner. We'll get into that later uh, with Rob. But, I mean, the thing for me that kind of stands out is like, all right, Southeastern Louisiana has arguably the best offense in the country, but the defense is – maybe not even top 100. So the way I view it is like, you know, you know exactly where they rank. You know, they're not top one. They're 111. They're not really under, you would be hard pressed to find a metric where they're like top 100. So they're not great defensively. You could argue they're bad defensively. Um, Offensively, they're incredibly potent. Um, A lot of people are quick to, Jamie fans are quick to be like, well, who'd they play? Okay. They didn't really play great teams but they lead the nation in scoring. If you use ESPN SP plus um, it's kind of an analytic metric there that takes, it should take into account sort of who you're playing and and all these different results, things like that. They're still the top offense in the country. So Cole Kelly is no joke. The offense is no joke, but I think GMU is a more complete team, which is why I think some fans, maybe myself included think that it's not unreasonable to expect JMU to win by double digits. I think everything has to go perfectly right for Southeastern to have a chance. Um, this offense is really good. There's no getting around that. This is the best offense by 15 miles that JMU has faced this season. Best quarterback they faced probably since they faced Trey Lance in the, in the national championship a few years ago. Like this is going to be a test for the defense. I've been low on the secondary all season. I'm still worried about the secondary. If the defensive line can't get in Cole Kelly's face within a second and a half and Southeastern knows how to scheme up, which it sounds like after our talk with Rob, it sounds like they'll know to count how to kind of attack and, and the plan of attack. So I'm worried about that, but their defense is just so bad that I don't know if Southeastern will be able to score at the same rate JMU will. Yeah. I think that's kind of where JMU's got the edge, right? Is, it's a Southeastern team that gives up 275 passing yards a game. Um, they've allowed 31 touchdown passes. I think they do have 17 interceptions, so maybe they've been a little opportunistic at times. But Cole Johnson's got 32 touchdown passes and only two interceptions. Wells and Thornton are two of the best receivers in the FCS. It's kind of hard to come up with a scenario where SLU is able to stop James Madison's offense. So I think that's kind of the the thing that stands out the most to me, maybe. And – Against Nichols, which was the regular season finale for Southeastern, they allowed over six yards per carry to a Nichols team. That isn't necessarily fantastic this season, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And I know it's been a beaten up 
running back room. They haven't produced to the level we all kind of expected. We all wanted them to. But if you give them the opportunities, looking at Austin Douglas, Solomon Van Horse, and Latrell Palmer, if you give them the opportunities, I think they'll take advantage of it and kind of run all over them when the pass isn't. But the pass is going to be working. So do you even need to run it? Like, <laughs> I think Jamie's got a chance to score a lot. I will say uh, Signetti's teams, I think they've only allowed uh, 30 points twice in his tenure. So they've only given up 30 or more points twice with Kurt Signetti as the head coach. I think Southeastern has a really good chance to score 30 or more. Um, it could definitely be the third time in the Signetti tenure that a team has scored 30-plus on JMU. But you look a, a couple of years ago, and this isn't the exact same Southeastern team, but they got knocked out of the playoffs against Montana in a game that they lost 73 to 28, right? So is that the same year that they beat Villanova? They beat Villanova 45 to 44. And then I believe they lost 73 to 28 the following week. So I think that's the recipe for them is like, they're going to need to win a game like 45 to 42 to beat JMU with like a couple timely turnovers and things like that. Um, if JMU's defense can get a few stops, and the Dukes can stop kicking red zone field goals, like they do have a chance to kind of pull away and, and I think win it by double digits. Although this team, this Southeastern team, is still very competent and capable. Like it's a playoff game. It's a test for sure. Yeah, and they're a top 20 team in the nation. I believe they're number 18 ranking-wise. So they're not, nothing to like sniff, like put your nose up at. They're a good team, and they're an elite offense. Like there's no getting around that, but the thing is, so is JMU. JMU is a top 15 offense in the FCS, and they also have a top 15 defense um, where Southeastern just doesn't have that. So do you want to bring in Rob, talk to him a little bit about this game and um, what he expects out of it? Yeah, Rob was was great. He gives us some really good insights. I think fans will enjoy it because you can just look at the numbers pretty easily of Southeastern, but to get a little bit of the bigger picture from someone who's been following them for decades is, is certainly valuable. Yeah, so take it away, Bennett. And a quick word from one of our sponsors, Lightbox. Say goodbye to dull gifts. Lightbox lab-grown diamonds are the brightest gift of the year. Using cutting-edge technology and innovative techniques, they've cracked the science of sparkle, creating the highest quality lab-grown diamonds you can find at a light price, $800 per carat. They have the same chemical makeup of natural diamonds, but just are grown in a lab. Because of their process, they can create stones in blush, pink, and beautiful blue, as well as classic white. Lightbox lab-grown diamonds are the gift they'll never want to take off, priced so they won't have to. They really do make any outfit sparkle. Visit lightboxjewelry.com to add sparkle to your holiday shopping. That's lightboxjewelry.com. Lightbox diamonds. Never a dull moment. Yeah, Jack, we're really excited to welcome in Rob DeArmond. Uh, he is well-versed in southeastern Louisiana football. So, Rob, thank you for joining us. And we talked a little bit uh, before we went online here about your credentials. And I think you'll describe them better than me. So I'd love you to tell our, our listeners kind of how you came into your current job and, and how long you followed Southeastern Louisiana's football program. Uh, first of all, thanks for reaching out. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I, I think this is one of those things where we're both trying to learn more about it. Uh, the, the teams, our teams are playing just to figure out what's going on. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I grew up in Hammond. I'm, I'm, I still live in Hammond, Louisiana. Uh, went to Southeastern 
uh, used to watch Southeastern football games. Uh, stadium and the campus is not too far from my house. Uh, they dropped football in 1985 and they brought it back in the early 2000s. Uh, at that point, I was working at the Daily Star in Hammond. So uh, I've covered uh, Southeastern football, I guess, since it's, it's come back in some way, shape or form for, for the Daily Star. Also did a little bit for the Advocate in Baton Rouge uh, during my time there. And uh, currently I'm at the Livingston Parish News as a sports editor here. So uh, I, I guess you could say it's, it's close to 20 years uh, covering covering southeastern football yeah i mean <laughs> quite through credentials so we were really excited when we kind of scrolled through twitter and looked for some southeastern louisiana stuff saw you and figured you'd be a good person to have on we are recording this on a monday and rob it's your birthday so we do want to say happy birthday i appreciate it i appreciate it i won't tell you how old i am but i appreciate it thanks <laughs> awesome awesome so i guess we'll dive right in at least from sort of my really basic JMU fan perspective, I look up Southeastern Louisiana and I see the offensive numbers as a JMU fan, I'm slightly terrified. So I guess, what can you tell us about this offense and Cole Kelly at quarterback that, that sort of makes this unit so dynamic? It's really, you, I mean, you hit it on the head. It's, it's, it's dynamic and, and what they're able to do uh, with Cole at quarterback. Um, I, and I'll go back a couple of years. Uh, he he came in when he came in. Uh, Chase and Virgil was a starting quarterback, uh, and I think that was the last time they, uh, Southeastern made the playoffs. But they still found ways to get Cole involved in the offense, and they had certain packages that they would run. Uh, and he's such a big guy, you know, about six eight or so. Um, so it, it was, and it was mostly running plays. And I tell people this: if, if if I were that defensive back or I were that line, he's a large man. If I saw him coming at me, I, you know, I, I think Deion Sanders used to call those business decisions. I'm making <laughs> a business decision on that. Um, literally, they call a draw and he's going to go forward. He's getting at least three yards just by falling forward. Um, and, and that's how it kind of evolved uh, getting Colin involved in, in the schemes and what they were doing. Uh, when Chase and Virgil graduates, Cole takes over, uh, and, and kind of what helps is that, uh, you know, he, he's embraced that part of being the leader of the team. Uh, if something goes wrong, he's going to be the first guy to say, hey, that's on me. It's, it's my, and it might not have anything to do with him, but he's going to say, it's, it's, it's my fault. We have to fix things. Um, and I, I think what helped also is having the, the spring season to kind of I don't want to say get used to things uh, and then having this fall season come back so quickly behind it. Uh, so they've just been able to build on what they were able to do in the spring. Yeah, that's, that's great insight into what Southeastern is that what, what their quarterback brings, because when we were looking at the, the roster and you see a six, seven QB, six, eight QB um, as fans, as medium people, we don't really know how to digest that. You don't see that a lot. I think the last, tall quarterback that I, I remember playing was Brock Osweiler. So it's, and that was a very different, very different frame, very different setup than what um, Cole Kelly brings to the table, but flipping to the other side of the ball, the defense, it seems like the defense has kind of been the Achilles heel of this team, at least scrolling through the schedules, kind of looking at their results, what's happened this season. Is it fair to say the defense has kind of been their weaker point so far this season? I, I I don't know if I call it a weaker point. Uh, they are playing a lot of young players right now. Uh, 
Orlando Jordan, who's an All-American, has been out injured uh, for most of the year. And what's, they've been able to kind of develop. They got some veteran players in there, but a lot of guys are really young on the back end. Uh, I guess the positive coming out of the, out of the, uh, the Florida A&M game for them is that the defense probably played its most uh, complete, at least half, if not game, against Florida A&M. They held them to 98 yards of total offense in the first half. Um, really got some things going there. Um, and that was coming off of the Nichols game. They lose by three points. Uh, and Nichols really ran the ball. Uh, really, that was the, the best, I, you know, we've seen a team run against Southeastern's defense, which was really a point of emphasis going in. You know, they said, we, we've got to do some things uh, to, to, so we can see what's going on and try to fix those things. Uh, and at the same time, Coach Selfo said it's kind of like one of those things where the, the, the guys go back and they watch that film from Nichols, and it was like the light bulb went off, and they said, okay, we see what we're not doing correctly. We see what we need to fix, so let's go fix it. And I think they, you know, obviously want to use that as a springboard going into this matchup this week. For sure. I was interested, too, in the schedule because I guess, what is it, the Southland's got kind of a, a weird mix of teams uh, so it seems like they played some teams multiple times. I guess, how did they sort of navigate what appeared to be a, a strange uh, season in terms of who they played and all that good stuff? That's been kind of the question because you, you don't see that. I don't think I've ever seen that when they, when they first came out. It happened because so many teams are leaving the Southland. Uh, right. They can't turn those matchups into single games. So they said, okay, what we'll do this year, all the Louisiana teams are going to play each other twice which uh, you, you look at it and say, okay, that's cool, you know. So, but, but then at the same time, never been done before. And what happens is inevitably things change in between those games. You know, you may play them, and then three weeks later you're playing them again. But you might have, you know, lineup changes, uh, injuries. It's all going to happen. So that's been kind of the, the navigating, you know, kind of navigating through it and kind of learning your way. Which has been kind of interesting for for the team itself, and 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 Coach Selfo has always been kind of like, hey, look, it's it's not the same thing, you know. This is this is a totally different animal, totally different team uh, on both sides for us and for them. And he's done that with with each one of those Southland teams that they played, at least so, within the state, I should say. Gotcha. That makes sense. I was interested too. Uh, the coaching staff certainly seems like they've had success in the past at other stops. What can you tell us about? Uh, the head coach and then some of the assistants. It certainly seems like a group that's not only talented, but maybe a really well coached group too. Yeah, uh, Coach Selfo's had some some NFL experience, uh, you know, some some college experience. And uh, the thing that that really strikes me about the coaching staff and what they're trying to do, uh, they really are trying to uh, to build a family type atmosphere there, where it's not just about football. You know, we we want to come in and, and we want to sure we want to get you the guys. But they, you know, they want to win championships. They want to get the academics going. Um, and, and I think that's the biggest thing with, with all of them. Uh, and, and he's got a lot of coaches uh, who have Louisiana ties. Uh, he's, he's made a point that, you know, when he came in, he said, hey, we want to start here in Hammond with our recruiting and work our way out. Um, and, and that's what they've done. That's how they've kind of built this thing. Jack, you got anything else? I didn't know if you're going anything there. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so the last time 
that Southeastern kind of probably caught the attention of CAA fans and JMU fans was their big game. Was it the 20, 20, the years are all messed up after COVID. I think the 2018 or 2019 playoff run when they had a, they overcame. 19. Yes. 19. When they beat 19. Villanova and kind of that thriller. What? Was a great game. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Was a great game. Um, so that was the last time JMU fans kind of had any, idea of who Southeastern was and now sitting in a second round matchup with them. Is there any kind of constants from that team that have rolled over to this season, or is it practically a completely new team with Cole Kelly? It's funny because that's one of the questions that, that, that was asked today. I, I went to the presser today and that was one of the questions of, uh, it was kind of a, a two-parter between myself and, and another uh, reporter that was there. And, and so you ask, you know, what changes? And he says, at this point, we sure we got some of the same players on the same team, but they're at different points in their lives now. That was, he's like, that that was two years ago. So yeah. you hope that they've matured and they've gotten better. Uh, and and from a coaching standpoint, it was one of those things where Coach Selfo said, we, that was the first time for me. I'd never been through some of this stuff. So uh, at this point now, we've got some of that logistic stuff. You've got to look at, you know, travel and, you know, how do we get there? What are we doing when we get there? He said all of that stuff's kind of taken care of. And that's stuff that maybe he, he said maybe I wasn't thinking about or maybe you, you don't, you know, put a premium on when you're doing it, you know. The other part of it was you're going in there and, and, and you start he, – he said he walked out, you know, first playoff game there, kind of looked around, looked at the other team, just and he kind of – he said their guys are bigger than our guys. Our guys don't look like their guys. So that was a point of emphasis for him. It's like, okay, this is what we need to do to get ourselves better to where we compete, can compete with these teams. And and that's what they've done. It's a, it's a concerted effort. Uh, Coach Selfo has said, you know, many times that th this is why I came to Southeastern. This is why we're here, to be playing in these national games, to put the national spotlight on this program and so people know where Southeastern is. This is – kind of a two-parter question then from there since you've been covering southeastern since when they re when they brought back the football program in 2001 is this the best team that you've seen on the field since then and then secondarily is this a team that you think can upset jmu here in the second round that, that's a great question um in 2013 2014 uh brian bennett was a quarterback that was ron roberts was coaching uh, they went back to back there and made the playoffs. So this is the fourth time in school history. Um, but probably in terms of just, I tell people we get spoiled, you know, watching this offense every week. And I, I mean, I'd probably have to say this is probably the most prolific in terms of offense and what they've been able to do every week that we've seen. We get, I, literally, we get spoiled because it's just like you look at it and you go, that's another game, you know, and then. You know, you, you hear Coach talk about, and you look at the offensive numbers they were able to put up last week, and, and Coach Selfo said, we're, we're not happy because they, they got into, I guess, a lull there in the second half. And, you know, they weren't scoring as much. But he said, you know, at this point, you, you get down there and you, you have to score. We don't want to trade field goals. Uh, you know, and he mentioned it today. If you're not scoring touchdowns like that against a team like JMU, uh, you've you missed the opportunity because he said that they'll, they'll probably come back and cash in on something where we weren't able to score. They're very well, very aware of that. Uh, and I, that's going to be a point of emphasis as we can practice. I know. Yeah, I guess kind of going off of that, what do you think are, are 
some of the keys to the game from Southeastern's perspective. And you certainly don't have to, but if you want to give us a score prediction or some stuff that kind of goes along with that, uh, we'd, we'd certainly love to hear your insights. I'm, I, I'm kind of a, I'm just looking at numbers here, and they're really similar on both sides uh, for both JMU and Southeastern. Kind of expecting a, a close game. I, I, at this, it's playoffs, you know. I, I just, you kind of don't know which way to kind of lean. Uh, I know JMU is going to be the home team here. Uh, but I, I know for Southeastern, it's, it's going to be, they, they've been able to get off to, to fast starts. That's going to be part of it, I think. Uh, get off to fast starts. Um, they've been also this past game. They were also able to put some a couple of long drives in, and they, there weren't really chunk plays. It was some of those slow, methodical drives, and they were still able to score. I think that might help them at, at some point during that game too, if they could put one or two of those together. Um, and defensively, like I said before, it's going to be kind of keeping that uh, keeping that momentum going and getting those those young kids are, are starting to see hey, man, we, we know what we're supposed to be doing. And, and I think if they can carry that momentum over, that's obviously going to help them. Yeah, for sure. I think South Dakota State had a great a great opening round game against uh, UC Davis. But other than that, I think Southeastern's got to be one of the most impressive first-round performances, like you had mentioned. I think what, it was 38 nothing, and before – Florida A&M kind of scored a couple of yeah, garbage yeah. touchdowns. Both of those, those touchdowns came late, and this is mm-hmm. not knocking Florida A&M at all. Just those, uh, Southeastern was starting to sub people in uh, on, on both sides of the ball, and, and they got two late scores. It was 24 to nothing at halftime. Uh, and, and Southeastern also missed two field goals in that game too. So, uh, you know, it, it could have been a, a bigger score there. Yeah, I know JMU fans are, are maybe thinking they'll beat up on the defense, but looks like they, you know, pitched a shutout for like 55 minutes of the game. So uh, it's a it's a really good Southeastern team. I'm I'm pretty thrilled for this matchup. I know Jack is too. And Jack, you got anything else? No, that's it. I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm as a person who's watched JMU play against mobile quarterbacks, against great quarterbacks, that's been their Achilles heel um, probably since they played Trey Lance in the national championship. Um, so I'm a little worried about this matchup. I think Cole Kelly might have himself a, one of the best games he's probably had of his career. The, the physically, uh, a lot of people kind of compare uh, Cole to, to Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, and Good. When, when you see him, that's that's what you you know that that's kind of when you see him. Be, like I said, he walks into a room and he's a large man. He's <laughs> so uh, big, big guy quarterback. Uh, and you know he's kind of I'm, I'm like you guys. I'm, I'm I'm really excited for this just to see what happens, you know, because I just looking at it on paper, these teams are on paper statistically really similar in what they do. And I, I think it's going to be a fantastic matchup. Yeah. I mean, Jack has always talked in the past about how Jamie men's basketball doesn't have much size. We would love for a Cole Kelly size <laughs> kid on the basketball team. Yeah. If he still has any eligibility left for basketball, Jamie will gladly take his grad transfer years. And put <laughs> but it's a different podcast. Yeah. Awesome though, Rob, we really appreciate you joining us. Uh, great to hear your insights. We certainly would not have been able to, to know a lot of these things unless you came on. So thanks so much for carving out 15 minutes of your day. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for reaching out, and uh, we, we'll, uh, we'll we'll stay in touch, guys. For sure. Enjoy the week and enjoy the birthday. I, I'm going to try. It's, it, it's working. <laughs> it's working. It's still working. So, you know, got to do it. Got to get it done. Of course, of course. Thank you so much, Rob, for coming on, talking to us about some Southeastern Louisiana football. Um, it's going to be a great game.
I think Cole Kelly's going to absolutely have himself a career day. I think for Southeastern though, Rob was talking about how it might be close and, and things of that nature. I think for it to be close and for Southeastern Louisiana to have any type of shot, they're going to need to start quick. And I think he mentioned that in his keys to the game, they need to start quick as, as they have kind of a history of doing, but they also need to force a turnover early or how JMU tends to shoot itself in the foot. They need something like that to happen early on in the game. And if they can be up like 21 to three at the first quarter, like JMU settles for a field goal to start the game three zero. And then, you know, Southeastern touchdown, touchdown, turnover, touchdown. And all of a sudden you're looking at a 21, three game or, or something to that, to that effect. That's the only way to meet Southeastern Louisiana has a shot in this game. JMU, this is kind of going way back, but JMU had a disastrous start in 2015, the playoff loss to Colgate where like they were getting smacked when they had Brian Shore that year. Kind of like um, in 2018 when they had a disastrous start to that Colgate game. They were okay in that one. They started pretty strong in that Colgate game and then like faded really hard. They did. They started that game. Wow, we're really going off the road. So They started that game so well where we honestly thought they were about to win like 50 to 7. That's what I thought. They got they were getting kind of smoked in, in 2015 and then really rallied back but but didn't end up winning the game. So that's kind of the southeastern blueprint, I think, is if you can get up early – score a bunch of points and, and, and win a shootout. The issue there is that Jamie's defense in 2015 sucked. And this year's defense is really talented with a really good defensive line. So I don't know. I have a hard time seeing it, it being within a field goal. I think that would be challenging, but I still think this SLU team is really, uh, really talented. They're really gifted. So I do think it has a chance to be more interesting than some Jamie fans are maybe expecting. I feel like they're discounting them a little more than they should. Yeah, definitely shouldn't discount them. The defense makes it, a hard game for them to win, but the offense yeah. is going to make this a very exciting game. So what's your prediction? Kind of break it down for me. What do you think is going to happen in this game? I mean, we've talked about Kurt Signetti getting a hundred points in a game and now feels like the time to, to do it. Now I think JMU has got a legitimate chance to score 50 though. So it, it kind of, you mentioned too, it reminded you maybe a little bit of the Monmouth game. Uh, that's one where I think that was the most points ever scored under Signetti was that Monmouth game for, it was, for yeah when they get six or something something like that and we all went into that game thinking oh this might be close because Pete the Jet Guerrero <laughs> whatever his nickname was um, he he was the best running back in the nation yeah so I think it's kind of maybe something like that where the Southeastern has one really really good player I think he's better than than the Jet. But um, <laughs> so I'll say I'll say JMU wins it fifty five to twenty eight. Okay, is as at any point in this game is it close? Like I think it, maybe with the, with the final score fifty five twenty eight probably not. But like is there I a could, time when it's like twenty one fourteen or something? I could see him hanging around for a little. I think my thing is like if they can't stop the run, they've shown some some struggles at times Southeastern doing that. Like that's really been Jamie's red zone issues. They aren't getting a lot of push. I think they're going to get more push in this game. So if they do that, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't score a bunch of touchdowns. Uh, they just came off a game when they scored 56, they just had a bye week. Like, I don't know. I think they're probably pretty ready. And I don't think that the coaching staff necessarily overlooked Florida A&M, but my guess is a lot of the advanced scouting was on Southeastern knowing that that's a better football team. So yeah, I think it, it sets up well for JMU, a defense that isn't all that good. I do think they'll they'll find ways to score on uh, on JMU's secondary, though. Yeah, I agree. 
just to put it a little inter- little bit into perspective, Southeastern allows about five yards per carry um, on the ground, and they allow about 150 yards on the ground per game. So they're not the best rush defense. I think I think Jamie wins it. I think it's a little bit closer than what you're expecting. I think maybe like a 45-35 type of game. Hey, I can see it. I can I, see it. I just think if they if they scheme properly and I and their coach sounds like a very competent coach that understands oh, yeah. how to scheme. They know that the the defensive line is going to get pressure. They're going to get into the face of Cole Kelly very often and very quickly. So they can get quick hitters, which has had, I mean, even against Moorhead State to start the season, Moorhead State was moving the ball with quick hitters and then it's Moorhead State. So they, they didn't, they weren't able to capitalize, but if they can kind of scheme that open and get guys quick outs, quick slants and just quick hitters and move the ball down the field, which against Florida A&M, they had those longer methodical drives that weren't big chunk plays. I don't think they're going to get chunk plays against this Jamie defense because with chunk plays, you need time for it to develop and the defensive line just isn't going to give them time. So if they can take advantage of that first second, second and a half after the ball is snapped, then I think they'll be able to move the ball. With that being said, I think JMU will score more points and win the game. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. I'm also kind of interested because I know they it's what essentially like a four two five that JMU runs with like yeah. using a bunch of safeties and whatnot. Safety that roves is like a rover, I think they call it, which is a yeah of a linebacker that can float down into the box on run plays. I'm not opposed to someone spying Cole Kelly. Like I think that that's, was that 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 word is not in anyone's vocabulary and you know it they refused to spy trey lance and they sent him up on an icy field not even collapsing the box. <laughs> that's just like i don't know fine i'm interested to see how this goes because he's he's the most dynamic quarterback they've faced all year i don't think it's close no offense to daniel smith but daniel smith like does the things he's supposed to do correctly and they're a more well-rounded team than slu but like this cole kelly's a better quarterback than daniel cole smith Kelly. Cole Kelly's the best quarterback we've faced, JMU has faced, since the national championship. Yes. Like, by far. No yeah, offense to Eric Schmidt of – or Schmidt, <laughs> Schmidt. Of, um, of Sam Houston. No offense to Daniel Smith. No offense to Davis Cheek. Trying to think of other quarterbacks they've played that has a name recognition. No offense Mancuso. to any other guys. But I think Cole Kelly well, – who? Joe Mancuso. Uh, they didn't play him this year, though. Did he play him last year, though? Nolan Henderson – yeah, see? Well, they didn't play – did they ever play Henderson? I don't remember who they played in 20-whatever. So they might have not played either. <laughs> they might have played Mancusa last year. Because they've played a bunch of backups this year. Yeah, that's what – yeah, exactly. There's a stretch of – I mean, we've talked about it probably way too much. The stretch of Weber State, Villanova, Richmond, Delaware. They all had backups in. I'm tempted to change my prediction. I will say that uh, Southeastern, they're, what, 9-3, and three, I think. Yeah, 9-3. and three with a playoff win, all three losses are by three points. So they haven't really gotten skunked this year. Now they haven't played a team like JMU, but. It's also worth mentioning last week, Rob talked about it. They only allowed 98 yards of total offense in the first half to Florida A&M. Florida A&M by no means is JMU. And they also had a shutout going for like 55 of the 60 minutes, a few garbage time touchdowns. They're and a fascinating team. Like if they have kind of figured stuff out, I'm sneaky scared of them now. I, I, <laughs> I love how I went through some. Out, more, <laughs> you scared. Well, I was scared before, and then I was like, "Oh, they're not gonna be able to stop them." 
I actually think though, let me say, I'll say 55, 38, I'll give them an extra 10 points. I think, so they played Southern Illinois. That's was their, I guess that was in the playoffs. That wouldn't make sense if it wasn't in the playoffs, uh, their loss in the spring season. At least it looks like it'd be the end playoffs, right? I don't know, but I don't know. Honestly, who who could say? Let me, <laughs> let me look up the. Was it their last game of the season? I don't think they made the playoffs last year. That's what I didn't think either. Oh, they just wanted to test their medal against. Okay, so not a playoff game. They played Southern Illinois in Carbondale, fifty-five to forty-eight loss, but a really competitive game. They played Sam Houston to open last spring, and it was a thirty. I mean, a forty-three to thirty-eight loss. Like they played good teams really well. I here's the thing. I think their offense is going to score. That's why I think it's going to be like a 10-point game. I, I don't think JMU is going to be able to necessarily pull away and win this one easily, I'm mainly terrified. because for every right hook JMU is going to throw, they're going to come back with their own left jab, you know? Yeah, JMU's got to find a way to get some stops and make some plays, and they also need to score touchdowns. That's going to be really a big thing. It's just if you can score touchdowns in the red zone instead of field goals, make sure you're getting sevens because it feels like a – a shootout waiting to happen. So I'm excited for this game. I think it's got a chance to be competitive and interesting. If you were the ESPN BPI predictor of this game, what? Well, it would be, it would be the FPI. It'd be their football power index. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Sorry. Sorry about that. (laughs) What percentage chance are you giving um, Southeastern to win? 21.9. All right. All right. Okay. I dig it. That's probably high. I don't know. I think the, like, that's high. I'd go higher. I'd say 38%. I don't. 38.12%. I wouldn't be like, like pulling my hair out. Like what the, what just happened? If, if Jamie lost, I would be surprised though. Like I would be surprised because their defense is going to have to do. Like, I don't think Jamie's given up 50. What, in what time frame? But what's the, what's the entire the, game? Yes. And in, since when? <laughs> No, I don't think they're going to give up 50. Oh, 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 oh. Like, I think, I think, like, they're not going to give up 50 and they should score a lot. So I would be surprised because I think they have a legitimate chance to score 50. Yes. They're just a much, they're like a much better all around team. The thing is that worries me is that if they settle for field goals, that's not going to win this game. Well, I think the thing that worries me is, is kind of going off of that. They seem way too content. Like, do you think Signetti will actually like change his ways at all? Where no. it's like, hey, field goals don't mean anything today. Why? Why would he change his ways now? Because <laughs> he wants the Oklahoma job. No, that's it. Okay. No, apparently all the Virginia Tech fans in our mentions, uh, Kurt Signetti's going there. <laughs> they say that. There's one person that said, "Can't wait to sign your coach tomorrow." Maybe they met Houston. Houston is floated as a uh, a candidate for them. Cool. <laughs> I, have my, I would love that to happen. I'd be interested to see how that would work out. Houston and Brooks in the same coaching tree, coaching. Plan. Oh, yeah. They're stealing all our coaches. Trying to go for Byington next, although Mike Young's pretty good. Anyway, <laughs> I've, I don't know. I just have a hard time seeing Jamie losing. It wouldn't be like crazy, crazy stunning. I just, Southeastern doesn't strike me as a team that's going to get any stops. Yeah. 100%. I agree with that. And with that, I think that's a good jumping off point to move into our next topic. CUSA TV. <laughs> yes. CUSA TV, which you've all been hoping we would speak about. 
So, Jamie men's basketball. They play Florida Atlantic on Sunday. It's on CUSA TV. I knew it for like a full 24 hours. I was like, all right, you got to pay $7 to watch this thing. I was like, I'm not going to do it. I feel like at the Atlantic (laughs) Bank Center. I was like, I'm not going to do it. There's no reason to pay $7 to watch mediocre basketball. And then our friend Brian Reese said that he had paid it when he was watching. And I was going to get upset if he was texting us. I didn't really know what was happening. So I was like, all right, I'm paying $7. I want to be included. FOMO. (laughs) So so I spent $7. And this announcer is just, I don't want to say reckless, but at one point he like roasts the, um, he roasts the CAA of how they handled the thing with JMU. At one point, multiple times, actually, he's going off on the reps where he's like, that guy got clobbered. How do you not call that? (laughs) <laughs> or like they would miss a shot clock violation or something and and they would end up going scoring on and he goes and FAU takes advantage of the incompetent officiating <laughs> essentially what he, he said, said. That? He, he basically did at one point Vado Morris got hit like across the face and had a pretty you know exuberant reaction falling down he's like Morris got fouled and and acts like he got hit by a crowbar. (laughs) The guy was awesome. He was overly dramatic for sure. Jamie wins the game by four. So they, they came out of their little Florida trip, which included the neutral site Naples tournament, two and two, they're six and two in the season. Uh, They got Eastern Mennonite. So it's a huge rivalry week this week. And uh, they came out of Naples one and two. No, the whole Florida trip. So the Boca Raton I'm counting. And the one and two. One and two in the Naples, and then and then they beat FAU. So they're two and two in Florida. Okay, thank you. Now they got a rivalry week, Jack. They got EMU, who they were once tied with at halftime a few years ago. We all, sure that, I thought that was Bridgewater. No, it was EMU. Okay. We all remember it. We all remember it vividly, clearly. We all remember it. Just like we'll never forget the Matthew Orbach three. There are some memories that live <laughs> in infamy in JMU basketball <laughs> lore. And this is one of them. But after that, they play UVA. We'll both be at that game. It's like, a, I guess you'll probably listen to this maybe on a Tuesday. So it'll be a week from if you're listening on a Tuesday. I'm, I don't want to say I'm souring on this team, but I think we probably got to spend five minutes talking about some concerns. Okay. I didn't watch the Florida Atlantic game. I watched part Missed of the out. Murray State game. The last game I watched completely, I think, was um, Wright State, maybe. Sure. It was one of those. But – your your concerns are very valid. I'm excited to let you just kind of rant about these concerns. And then I'll do my best to talk you off the cliff because I haven't fully soured on them because at the end of the day, they're gutting out wins. They're getting wins. So so just just hit me. Just This is your therapy session. Let it out about men's basketball, and I'll try to help. They turn the ball over so much. Yeah, like, I can't help you there. They do that a lot. It's gotten a little better. Like, it's gotten a little bit better. I will give them that, but it's like, there's just a lot of really sloppy turnovers in some of these games. Like there are so many unforced mistakes. The other thing is like, they kind of stink at shooting the three. Like if you take away the Carlo game, which I think you should there, what is that? 47 of 159 from three. And I'll do the math to see what that actually is, but it's, it's not good. So they're shooting. Yeah. They're shooting just below 30% from three in games, not against NAIA schools. That's not good. Like, that's just not good. They're not shooting it well from three at all. They don't have a big guy, so they can't block shots, which if you look at, like, Ken Palm, defensively their biggest issue is that they literally don't block anything. So 
They're giving up those. They give up some offensive rebounds. The numbers aren't quite as bad as they could be offensive rebounding-wise. But, God, I mean, they're like – they're really not great from three. They hit some more against Florida Atlantic. They were 10 of 23. But down the stretch, it looked like they were trying to lose the game. They're making some really stupid mistakes. Against Kent State, they did not shoot the ball well. Against Wright State, they did not shoot the ball well. And the biggest thing is they've got guys who shouldn't be shooting threes, chucking threes. Hit me with the breakdown of threes that you texted earlier. Okay. This, this breakdown is kind of eye-opening, and I, I think this is where the root of the problem is. Yeah, so Jalen Hodge and Charles Falden are probably the best three-point shooters on the team. I think that's, that's – Yeah, 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 100%. I think when you watch the game, you see their motion – it's like, all right, they're the better three-point shooters. Charles Falden or Chuck Falden um, and Jalen Hodge. Chuck, baby. They're, they're 31 of 65, which is like a really good percentage, just under 50%, 31 divided by 65, 47.7% from three, which is just absurd. So those two guys are really phenomenal from beyond the arc. Jalen Hodge is shooting 51, almost 52% from three. Also so – worth mentioning sorry to interrupt but no chuck falden is like near perfect in shots under a minute from the corner to tie it like his clutch gene is really clutch he's had a bunch of huge shots and made really good plays down the stretch he was an awesome transfer addition um but you've also got you know vato morse who is not a bad shooter i don't think but he's struggling this year big time he's shooting 26 percent from three and he's taken 50 he's the only guy who's taken 40 and he's taken 50. So he's taking significantly higher volume and not making those shots. You look at the way he played against Florida Atlantic it was maybe the favorite game of mine uh, that he played all season long. He scored a good amount against Eastern Kentucky, but other than that game, he was two and eight against FAU, but he only took two threes. So he had, I think he had three assists. He didn't turn the ball over. His assists were awesome. He was making the extra pass. Like when he does that and isn't going out of his way to shoot threes, I think he's a really, really good player. You don't need him taking nine threes a game, especially if he's not hot. So that's something where I'd like to see him continue to do that. I think it makes the offense better. makes the team better. Another player to call Molson, Seton Hall transfer. He's shooting six of 25 from three. He's never been a great three-point shooter. He doesn't have much arc on his shot, but he's like, he's bigger than most mid-major players. Six, four, two, 10, honestly looks bigger attacks the rim really well and has been reasonably effective doing that. I'd much rather see him do that than try to shoot a bunch of threes. You got Julian Wooden who's shooting like 60% or above from two point range. And he's taken a bunch of threes. He's five of 24 from three. He's already taken half as many three pointers as he took last year in 20 games. And they've only played what eight games this year. So he's taken maybe a higher volume than we like to see. He's not making a ton of them. So I think that's something to keep an eye on is, is them and their shooting. And then you've also got Terrence Edwards and Terrell Strickland. They're combined for two of 20 from three-point range. They're significantly more efficient from two-point range, which is where they should probably do the bulk of their damage. So I guess my, my issue is you've got Falden and Hodge really should be the guys who are taking threes, and the other guys should be trying to get to the rim. And I've been a little surprised and maybe disheartened at times when you've got someone who's shooting 20% from three and they keep keep firing him up when their teammate might be open who's shooting 45% from three. Yeah. I, I don't know what national writer tweeted it, um, but there was a national writer watching one of Jamie's games, probably, I think a mid-major national writer, but 
he just I think it was either about Molson or Morris where he was like I don't know who told them that they have an ultra green light where they can shoot it at any point when they cross the timeline but they need to have that revoked and I kind of agree with that it's just it's an interesting thing because I think Morris is a better shooter than he's shown but he's taken 98 shots this year the next closest guy is is falling is falling with 65 yeah they both made 29 shots and he's taken 33 more. I think it's – so here's my thing. Like, I, I hear what you're saying. I get, get it 100%. Their turnovers are an issue. However, they still have a better-than-one assist-to-turnover ratio, and they're turning opponents over at a very high clip. They do uh, opponents have, have, have a .7 assist-to-turnover ratio. They've forced 145 turnovers so far. That's 18 a game, which is a fantastic mark. And that's a little inflated off of Carlo. But even watching against Eastern Kentucky, against Florida Atlantic, against everyone, they've done a really good job at turning the opponent over. And when they do, when they can get into those fast breaks, when they can kind of do those, those quick change offenses, that's when they start to really take over games. That's when there's, there's skills really on display. It's when they're in half court and they have to create offense. They have no one. It just seems like it's almost like the same problem with the women's team. It's just stagnant. They try to play ISO ball. They try to go with – Go have their offense go through one person. They end up settling for a bad three. Yeah, like they you could just you could feed it. You know, you could feed it down low to Molson. You could feed it down low to Wooden, or even Amadi or Sule, and let them go to work. Like I think them slashing to the basket, having more off-ball movement, having more movement in general, I think would really benefit this team instead of you know high screens that you then try to get a. Like they look like me playing 2K when I have a 99 overall three-point shooter, you know? Yeah, they definitely got to get better at that. And some of it is they really don't want to have a true post. Like Amadi and Sule can do some stuff down there, but they're like – They don't have post moves. They don't have post fo- – no offense to them. They're really athletic, really good, really jumpy, but they're not – yeah, they're not post players. They don't have the post footwork. They can't back you down in the low post and just put up a baby hook. Sule has got the most of that on the team, but he's probably not giving you – Ray has scored in double digits three times. One was Carlo. The other two, he scored exactly 10 points. He's not really a, a volume shooter in the post, so he's not necessarily someone you're feeding the ball to down there. So I think that's like the biggest thing. We said that in the offseason. Like they don't have a true five, and I think that's going to come back to, to bite them this year. I will say I think the shooting is going to improve as a team. I think Morris will get better. I actually – I don't hate Wooden's jumper. It's just – He's been so good attacking the rim that if you're missing threes, like, don't settle. He's also um, so a bigger guy. He's like Molson. I think he's 6'8 and, like, has good moves to get to the basket. Like, you don't have to settle. Yeah, that's where Wooden should definitely attack a little more with that 6'8 size. So, I don't know. We'll see how it develops. I think I'm not, like, sour on the team. I really like them. I just think there's a maybe an element of of too much excitement or, like, the at-large talk was super annoying a few weeks ago. And people were like, well, if they do this, they're, like, they're not an at-large team. They're- Even if they went undefeated, their strength, strength of – I mean, they would have made it if they went undefeated. But, like, one, that's never happening. And, two, they just are <laughs> terrible. If they went undefeated, they'd be, like, a 14 seed at-large. Like, the strength of schedule would have just been atrocious. Their best team they play is UVA. Not named UVA. It's Mason. Mason's up there. Murray State's pretty highly rated. Oh, Murray like, State, I forgot yet. Which uh, they had like a 15-point lead in that one, right? They had a good lead early and ended up getting <laughs> smoked in the second half, just absolutely run out of the gym. They were giving up, struggling to stop people from scoring two-point shots, which, again, I think goes back to not having a true big. So I'm interested to see how the team develops, but also how the program develops long-term. 
because it feels like they definitely have one of the better teams in recent memory, but that's not saying a lot. And it's interesting to me because, like, are they significantly better than, like, a good Brady year? Or is that kind of where they are? Because the Roe era, I felt like it set the program back a little bit because they fired Brady after winning 21 games and then said, we want to take it on the next step. The next step was just falling off a cliff and not becoming any good at basketball. So they've got kind of a long way to go to become like a legit top 100 team. Yeah, I think long-term they are set to grow into that. I think right now in year two, coming out of a COVID year with Mark Byington and a team full of transfers because they're still trying to, you know, recruit a team because they lost all their, their homegrown recruits when Roe left. And I think they're they're one of the they're one of the they're the best team I can recall. I only was at JMU for one of the Brady years, his twenty one win season. But like kind of looking back, like I think they're a darn good team. They're probably not as good as what twenty thirteen when they won the first four game and then got blown out by Indiana. But I think they're they're an overall really solid team. And when you look at like kind of the grand scheme of things, year two of Byington, all these transfers. And I mean, Falden is a fantastic transfer from Winthrop. Molson was a sought after mid-major transfer. And so was um, Tyree E. Hinacho. It, yep. And he came back in. And I wanted, I wanted to get your take on him. You, you and Brian both seem to be a little bit high on him as he was going through. He could really facilitate the offense. Was there anything that really stood out to you about him and his addition to the offense? Or, or is it just a nice, nice piece to have a guard who can, you know, facilitate an offense and play really good defense yeah it's not like he had the best game of his life or anything but he he's six four like a little bit under 200 but he's bigger than he's a bigger point guard option than Strickland and and Morse like he's got more size to him so he played you know at, at North Dakota last year he had about nine points a game four assists and almost six rebounds and that's kind of what stands out is like I think he can rebound a little bit which is going to help this undersized team he shot 35 percent from three um, struggled a little bit at the free throw line, but he's not the best pure shooter necessarily, but he does more things. He's a little bit in that same way that like Terrence Edwards isn't maybe the best shooter on the team, but he does a lot of things well. Yeah. And that's kind of what it, it strikes me as another guy like that. Who's got a little more size who can do some, some nice things. So I do think he's a good addition. I will say just going back on the quick point, they were, I guess they were top 100 according to Ken Palm. They were 91st in 2016. I think that's the last time they've ended a year. Uh, in the top 100, they're really close in 2011, too. Uh, but this year, right now, they're 173 in Kempom. They've certainly got a chance to improve. Yeah, and I don't think they'll finish as a top 100 team this year by any means. But I think 100% this team is on the right trajectory. Yes. Um, I think it's really exciting. I mean, there's a lot to there's a lot to improve. There's a lot to fix. And I think Byington understands that. He's not stupid. Um, but, but he, he fixed it last season at the beginning of last season, there were some problems. And by the end of it, they were darn, darn good, especially in the CAA. And I mean, what, they had like a 15 point lead against Elon and then Dustin Buford or whoever it was for Elon decided to hit every three under the sun. Um, so they're on the right trajectory. Who knows? Maybe next year or in two years, they're a top hundred team easily. They might start the season in two years as a top 100 team. I expect them to, I think they kind of dominate CAA competition outside of maybe Hofstra, maybe Northeastern Hofstra looks like they're a good program, but I, I think they're on the right trajectory. They might finish as like a, a 
a high 100 team or a low 100 team. You know what I mean? They're going to be close. Yes. Yeah. I think that's kind of the, the point that I'm maybe more so making is just like to, to temper expectations. Like there are really, this this won't be an at large team for probably years. I mean, when was the last time Sunbelt had two, two bids? Like the Sunbelt isn't a, (laughs) they're not putting in two, they're not a two bid league. No. And I think like the main thing is like what you have to do is you got to be really good at home. And right now they're three and zero, and you got to find a way to be more competitive on the road. They're horrible on the road uh, during the row era. They weren't particularly good at home either, but they were horrible on the road. (laughs) So (laughs) I think that's something to keep an eye on is can they be really good at home? Can they be more competitive on the road? Um, I'm excited about really good on the road this season, man. They're three, and zero at home two and zero on the road. They're only two losses are at neutral sites. So all I'm saying is when March madness comes around, they have some problems. (laughs) They're an interesting team. I think they'll get better. I don't, I don't know how much that UVA game is going to be actually competitive, but holding out. Whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) That's kind of why I'm souring because it's like the schedule really doesn't have any marquee games except that one. I think they've got maybe a chance to, Maybe a chance to hang around. I don't know. I'm starting to I'm starting to worry about that. Well, Jane, you started so well, and UVA started so poorly. It seemed like the perfect, and we hyped ourselves up. I think if you asked us at the beginning of the season, would you be happy if JMU stuck around against UVA? You'd be like, yeah. And then after for the first week of college basketball, you're like, we can win that game. <laughs> and now after two and a half, three weeks of college basketball, you're sitting there and you're like, oh, so UVA still can play really good defense and they're probably going to beat us and we'll be lucky if we stick around. But if you had told us that four weeks ago, we would have been really excited. I'm still holding on to hope that maybe something crazy will happen, but if the they rest hit their it, shots, they win. I mean, if they score more points than UVA, they win the game. That's so true. And then I'm hoping they do a little, some nice things in conference action. I think a 21 season would be really good. Um, I don't know. I do think they can keep getting better and improving. So excited to watch the program grow. Like you mentioned, I think you made some fair points. They're going to get better. They're moving in the right direction, which was not true in years prior um, with different coaches. So, and with that being said, this is a different team than last season. This is a new team to last season, so you can't really expect Byington to come in and, and pick up where they left off last year because you lost one of the best players in recent memory in JMU history, and Matt Lewis. You're moving Morse to more of a number one option in the offense, and you brought in all of these key contributors through the transfer portal. This is a completely new team, so it's kind of like starting back from square one. So you just got to give it some time. Yeah, for sure. And uh, quick women's rant. Let it out. Let it out. This one I got. I have no. I have no solutions for because their assist to turnover ratio is so bad, and and they just got ran out of the gym by Buffalo by this for the second straight year. I'm very disappointed in how they played through six games. I'll say that. I think they're way more capable than how they have played. Like losing to Maryland by a lot was no surprise. The Virginia win was nice. Uh, but then like Liberty's a team they could have beaten, lost in OT, fought really hard, picked up a couple nice wins over teams that are not as good as them. But then like the Buffalo, another one, like that's a game kind of like Liberty. You, you can get it. You could lose it. You know, they're up 26 to 19 at halftime and they lose 62 to 45. They're one of 18 from three. They turn the ball over 19 times. Like that's, you're never going to win if you play like that. And that's just, it's kind of frustrating because I think they're better than how they've played. It's still really early. They got a long way to go, but it's another team that like, if you're a Jamie fan, like, please, please 
I don't want to hear anything about an at-large. Like, I, I don't want to hear that anymore. I think it was like a pipe dream at the beginning of the year that was like, maybe if they find a way to really beat up on some, like, I don't think it's even in the conversation right now. And I don't think it should be. They're not, they're not looking good at all. Um, and I'm kind of surprised and disappointed because I think they have a chance to be really good. It's still early. So I'm still interested to track this team, but I was really high on them, them coming into this year. So to see them kind of floundering a little bit and losing like 17 points when you have a halftime lead against a, a mid major that you just lost to last year, but you think you're probably going to try to have a good chance to bounce back from, I don't know. I mean, Peyton McDaniel has not come back yet. That'll certainly help. She's a really good score, but uh, she's, I don't know exactly what her injury is, but ah, man, just really, I don't know. I thought they'd be off to a better start. Yeah. They have 47 assists this season to 105 turnovers. What's the three point percentage? And they're shooting 21% from three. They're taking a lot of them. They've taken 125, which is about a third of their total shots. Yeah. It's frustrating. I think they're. They're settling for jumpers, for contested jumpers. They're not moving the ball well around. And when they do move the ball around, it turns into a turnover. Like there's potential for the team. And it's kind of like what we talked about all of last season. There's potential there. They have talent. They just are sloppy. That's that's kind of what's bothered me, I guess, with watching both teams kind of significantly. As you turn these games on, they're just like flailing and throwing they, the ball out of bounds. They, they want to run one of the fastest tempos in the nation, both of these teams, it seems like. Yes. And neither one can control the ball. And it's like, can we just not be the fastest team in the nation? We can be a top 50 team in the nation if we can just hold on to the darn ball. Yeah, they've got a chance Thursday night. They're playing at GW. That is a chance to be one of the lower scoring games you'll ever see in your life. GW has played some stinkers this year. Um, real slow scoring. So that one's got a chance to be a little bit gnarly. I think they played some kind of gnarly ones with them in the past. Yeah, they had a 50. That's what I remember. They had a 50 to 37 win, Jamie, you did in 2018 against them. So kind of could be a similar style matchup here but i mean we'll see what happens they're going to beat a lot of conference teams they're going to beat a lot of teams in the CAA, just like i think the men will but it's a matter of like can you get the program to be like the best it can it can be and i do think in the future like the expectation should be to have one if not both the men's and women's team in the ncaa tournament i agree i agree with you wholeheartedly anything else you want to hit no any uh, quick headlines? I have to see if we we missed any headlines. Jamie's going to the Sun Belt. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Is that why they can't compete in anything? Spencer Rattler's coming to Jamie. Spencer Rattler did officially enter this transfer portal. Next up, Caleb Williams will be too. Interested to see. Yeah, we could get both. Interested to see <laughs> how Rattler develops under Sigetti. Um, I think he'll be a really good backup to Billy Atkins. Um, just a matter of if he's willing to take that role. Well, Rattler already has the experience being a backup, so. He handled that pretty well for himself. He seems like a, uh, from some other things, like his QB1, he was not a very polite person. <laughs> I didn't watch QB1, so. He was kind of a, he was kind of a jerk, so. Um, but he seemed to accept the backup role well, but yeah, sometimes people don't like his personality. He seems like a little abrasive. All right, so we'll end the podcast on talking about Spencer, Spencer Radler's um, personality. For Bennett Conlon, my name is Jack Fitzpatrick. JMU football plays Southeastern Louisiana football 
this weekend on Saturday, kickoff time is 2 p.m. Uh, so tune in on ESPN Plus and uh, yeah, see you guys at uh, the JMU UVA basketball game. I, will we have a podcast before then? Might do it after, right? Might do it after. We might do a live recording in our we Airbnb. Could do, we could do it. We should bring Mike. Let's do it Tuesday night at like <laughs> 11 o'clock from an Airbnb. All right, you guys have a wonderful rest of your week. See ya. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.